Hello, and this is Decolonising DMU. I'm Govinda Rojala-Sidhu, and this episode examines the term BAME, or B-A-M-E, which stands for Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic. It's been widely used in all fields, including higher education, but the recent controversial race report commissioned by the government has recommended that the term BAME is no longer used. I quote, stop using aggregated and unhelpful terms such as BAME to better understand disparities and outcomes for specific ethnic groups. Advance HE, who also promote excellence and equality in higher education, have recommended that if an institution is trying to decide on what terminology they use, then the discussion should involve staff and students. This conversation is underway at De Montfort University. And to explore this issue further, I'm joined by Dr. Hardeep Basra, who's the Academic Professional Development Consultant and co-chair of the BAME Staff Network at the university, and Rick Kennedy, who's senior lecturer in education at De Montfort University, and Moonlee Fong Whitaker, who's learning and development coordinator at Imperial College London. And she's also one of the committee members at Imperials as One, which is their version of their BAME Staff Network. So first of all, Hardeep, I know that you've been seeking to change the name of the BAME Staff Network. Can you explain why? Thank you, Kavinda. It is in response to the context that you have set. I think increasingly as a network, we have been discussing, debating the appropriate use of the terminology BAME. And I think we're increasingly recognising that it's just being used as a noun, as a way of describing a set of collective individuals, rather than really understanding what the individual differences are, the disparities are amongst those groups of individuals that are part of the BAME staff network. So as a way to open up the debate and get our network staff involved in that conversation, we've done a lot of work in terms of trying to enhance their understanding about what the current debates are, okay? We recently facilitated a workshop by bringing in an external facilitator, Gurnam Singh, who's very well renowned in the sector for his discourse and knowledge around the use of the term BAME. And what we wanted to really do was to empower our network to have a voice, okay? Because this, this is, the network is, is a representation of our, our members and we want them to be able to have an understanding about what what the issues are, what are what, what, why is it problematic, why are these debates happening in the sector and as you said why are some institutions, some organisations moving away from using the term BAME and just actually today we've just put together a survey to be able to go to our network for them to take a democratic approach to deciding what they want to identify themselves. So the current debate is very much about what we want to identify ourselves as a network. Do we want to continue to use the word BAME, considering a lot of the uh, debates and the consultations around that terminology, or do we want to use an alternative? Okay, but also in that same vein, recognizing any alternative is not perfect. There are many pros and cons, okay, to alternative labels we might use to identify as, ourselves as a network. But we wanted to have this debate at DMU to be able to empower our uh, BAME colleagues, okay, rightly or wrongly using that terminology, to voice their opinions. And if we want to change, we will do that democratically. 
Thank you, Hardeep. And um, Moonly, if I could come to you, are these some of the issues and conversations that have also been taking place at Imperial College? Yes, definitely. I think in the last few weeks, we had a lot of discussions in our network and also in Race Equality Charter Network um, about um, whether we should use BAME. You know, the question is like to BAME or not to BAME, that is the question. <laughs> and I think it is really hard for me personally to say, you know, it's really hard to come up with a word. To be honest, it is hard to come up with a term that is going to be inclusive. How, you know, for something that's been actually exclusive from the onset. Yeah, I don't know if we're ever going to get to a stage, this is a very inclusive word. You know, I know in America, they have like um, things like BIPOC, um, I don't know, people of color and stuff. Um, but then the BAME kind of does encompass, like, for example, the white minorities that people of color wouldn't necessarily apply to. Uh, yeah, we do had a lot of discussions when Piers won, and I don't know, I think we are, but not really decided. There's a merit to it, because sometimes it is stronger in numbers, you know, for example, creating meaningful data. Um, I don't know how, what else you can think of a term that would fit on that. Like Hardeep said, um, it, it's really showing, like, there's you know, it's, it's not a really good idea to create it, like to treat it as a collective group. Um, there's a lot of diversity within it, but I don't think a name change would change that at all. Thank you. Um, Rick, did you want to add anything to that? I think it's important that uh, the discussions from what's been going on at the moment is, is almost, uh, yes, the, 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 the fragmentation of individual ethnicities within trying to unpick what their what their needs are within that group i think part of me wants to suggest that we should actually almost flip that on its head and and, and look at the interaction from dominance and white dominance onto ethnic onto ethnic groups i think the the important thing to to aim is yes there, there are some commonalities in ethnicity and ethnic minoritized people's experiences while their interaction with whiteness i, I i'm i'm it sort of harks back to the sort of the ideas of sort of the Marxist ideas of sort of class fragmentation, where where where, where people are split off into different groups, but yet dominance is still able to, um, and oppression is still able to operate within that, rather than being a sort of unified group with some common denominators, some commonality of the oppression that we face. I I, I, I'm a, I don't want to use the word sort of skeptical, but I'm slightly skeptical of the of the the ideas of everybody within that has has a voice and has has a has a has a um a need within that when what we really need to be doing is really challenging white dominance and whiteness within society and white privilege within society as i've said within my research i've, I've used the, the term black and ethnic minoritized mainly because we're not minorities until we interact with whiteness that puts labels on us that have particular connotations of those particular times and we've sort of gone from sort of colored to negro to black to B, M, E, to BAME, and all these things have particular connotations, but within those connotations, they're also anothering process. It's to say that whiteness and dominance stays static and, and, um, and is always there, and actually it, it sort of shapeshifts and moves around, but that's the part of the issue. The, 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 the labels that are associated with, with ethnic minoritized people are, de are defined by whiteness, 
and they have particular connotations with them. So I, I, I understand the fact of different needs within those groups. And I, I think Moonley sort of touched on the ideas. It will be incredibly hard to find something, but I think we need to start looking for those common denominators of the oppression that people face and fight against that. And that that's where the, the point of the struggle should be, rather than looking at different sort of names really. But I, I personally use black and ethnic minorities from perfectly from the basis that you, 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 you're, not, you're not a minority until you interact with whiteness and white dominance. Yeah, I agree uh, with, with that as well, because I feel like we can focus on the terms and the correct terminology, and I wouldn't be surprised if we do come up what what is the most inclusive term we can reach at this point at this time, then 10 years, it would be, again, completely disregarded. I feel like it, it's kind of a distraction to, to what actually is going on. And I think, yeah, we shouldn't look at um, common denominators as being oppressed. Um, you know, the system isn't really built for people like you and me. Uh, a lot of policies, a lot of decision making, it's designed for the ethnic majority. It's really, really interesting points that you've both raised there. And it's something I've struggled with in my own research as well, with what terminology to use. And I've kind of ended up using minority ethnic. But Rick's right, you're only a minority because somebody else has decided that they are the majority. But returning back to the word BAME, um, one of the criticisms I think that people have sort of labelled at this particular terminology is that while it centres black identity and Asian identity in the, within a UK context, I assume, because I don't think this is a terminology used in America, it does ignore East Asian identities. And also I feel like when you look at media representation and even when we look at the conversation is within ed education, yes, we break down identities, but do we break them down enough to really understand the different identities that do exist within a university? Yeah, I think we don't break enough. You know, for example, I know, uh, like, I'm Chinese, and I know there's this ethnic model minority stigma attached to the Chinese community. Uh, and in some discussion, I've experienced it in my own life, where um, people wouldn't think I have experience of racism. You know, for some reason, I, um, who isn't an ethnic minority, don't have any experience of racism and therefore my voice isn't as important. Um, I think we do need to recognise that racism manifests very differently for different ethnicities, different, you know, intersectionalities even, and it's not going to be the same, you know, like if you're, of course, like I'm not going to claim that I know how it is to be a young black male or a young Asian Muslim woman, but it's still, it's not helpful to say like, oh, you don't have any problems because, you know, statistically you're doing well <laughs> in your life. Um, but again, like for example, with Chinese, we don't have enough representation and leadership at all in this country. Yeah, and I, I just, I, I want to agree because as as my role in the, in the co-chair, I frequently do have colleagues from East Asia, from China, saying they don't, know where they belong. Do they belong in the BAME network? Because they are a minority and they do face disparities. Those disparities might not be around racism, but there are other challenges and barriers that they do face. And sometimes that there is a difficulty on people not, people don't feel that they fit. This is why there's, 
even within the debates we've had within within the network, I think there's been some kind of resistance um, to the terminology of people of color, because that there's recognition that actually you know, racism, disparities, discrimination is faced also by minorities who may not be of color, and where do they belong? And I suppose as a network, we don't want to just focus on racism because that is not just, you know, there, there's a positive aspect to what the Bay, uh, the Bay Network's trying to do, which is to celebrate to, to a certain extent the, the diversity of, of, of the groups of staff and students that are, make up our university communities. But there is absolutely um, a difficulty. I mean, we, you know, there was discussion about John Gus's term, global majority, which kind of moves away from using that um, racially monetized labeling. But that's not perfect either. It kind of moves the debate to the center so we can have much more of a positive identity. But again, it's not without some of its limitations either. That's a really interesting point, Hardy. We obviously have networks within educational organizations, but I think there tends to be uh, some sort of staff network in any organization. Why do you think we need these kinds of networks where we do get people, I guess, who have a, a similar range of experiences together? I can jump in on that. I think it's important for, because um, part, of, part of my research is the ability to talk back to power and talk about your experiences. And, and within my, within my research, I've, I've particularly said, I've said before, I'm looking for the commonalities of the oppression that people face. But I think it's important that people have that voice. And I think these sort of networks give people the voice. I, 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 agree, I agree with Moomi quite a lot that we can get distracted from into terminology and naming and actually the power to name is not ours really within um, with a white dominated society, sort of Western democracies tend to be that way. We, 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 it's the ability and, uh, and the power of whiteness to name. Well, whereas, what, whereas we're sort of talking about different namings, we can, we can get trapped within that, I think. Um, and what we need to do is look at how white dominance and white privilege is perpetuated within those environments and, and, and start to unpick that. And um, once you start to unpick it, you can start to see the, the commonalities of the oppression that people face across a range of different ethnicities. That whole idea that of what Hardy just spoke about, about the global majority, that's so, so counterfactual to what we'd think. But um, I think it's really important that we hold on to the fact that you know, ethnic minoritized people are in the majority within the world. It's just that the mode of production and the resources within the world are in the hands of one group and they write the narrative. And I think these groups are really important in order to write a counter narrative. And the experiences that people have had usually means that there's more hurdles that we have to jump in order to achieve something. And I think it's important to highlight those hurdles and the, the way that those hurdles sometimes formulate our identities and our, on our place within certain spaces. I think it's really important that we start to sort of unpick those and, and, and look for some of those commonalities between us and then stand as a unified force against the, the domination that's in place within society. Yeah, and just to add to that, it's, I mean, Rick has said this, it's about a collective voice, empowering people and representing them in a way that they wouldn't be able to do as individuals. And recognition that we know that there is still a structural racism, structural inequalities in place, uh, lived experiences of individuals or collective um, groups, uh, which 
face discrimination and unfair um, practices. And I think these networks are really, really important, not only to be able to give them a platform to voice their concerns, raise issues, which we can then channel in the right direction with institutions. But often they just need to be able to have these conversations in a safe place without being judged, but without being questioned, without having any recourse taken against them, okay? And on the other end, it is also about celebrating that diversity, talking about those differences. What does it mean? Learning, tolerance, respect. Um, I think it's also a really important part of what our network tries to do at DMU. That's uh, Imperial, um, that's one. Um, I don't know if you're aware of the makeup, um, the ethnic makeup of Imperial, but it is predominantly white, which goes in contrast to the London demography. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. And for me, and I, I'm pretty sure people who come to Imperials One in our coffee catch-ups, it is a kind of a safe space. Um, we have about, uh, let's say, 8,000 staff members, uh, I think about over 60 departments. And there's a big chance that you're the only person of colour um, in your department. And sometimes, you know, we're providing that platform for you to kind of like lay down, have a rest, and you know, chill. Um, and for me, Imperials One provide that safe space um, of healing. You know, it's a safe space to heal and to feel less isolated. Um, and also, it's also a place for you to grow. Um, you know, we do have, especially like you know, if you're working, you do have like, for example, office politics to deal with. And sometimes you might not get the best advice from your immediate environment uh, in your department, or they don't, they don't know it. And sometimes it is very helpful to talk to someone who outside of the department, just to say like, oh, how do I navigate through the system? How can I make an impact uh, without going through, for example, to bureaucracy or getting people's leeway? Um, what I found with Influence One, because especially since Black Lives Matter, it has become such an important voice in decision making. Our network has constantly been involved in lots of working groups and decision making. Um, so whenever someone has an idea, does it, you know, they can come to Influence One and we can make that happen for you. So there's a unity in that. So making a difference, I think what Hardeep was saying, trying to put those in actions where it can matter. I think what you've all highlighted is there's a network for people who are working, uh, for staff, that they can come together and discuss and learn from each other, celebrate each other, but also understand and empathise. For students in any UK university, um, they obviously have their different societies. Um, they have the Students' Union. But do you think the collective Black Lives Matter movement has sort of united students so that they can speak more collectively together on the issues that um, oppress them and worry them and talk more openly about racism? I think Black Lives Matter and George Floyd has just highlighted the systemic racism that's, that's in place within society. It's brought things to the, to the fore. 
and it's created some some you know if we use critical race theory it's under it's created some need for interest convergence from from whiteness to be seen as progressive so actually the the needs are converging so that tends to be what's happened throughout throughout since the civil rights movement that the needs of of whiteness to be seen as progressive the the, the interests have converged and um, and that's why we're getting some pro progress and that doesn't belittle what the what students are doing or the the activism that's taking place within that space because so i think it's really important that we we use that in order to put institutions that create this idea of separation um, di um disassociation and isolation of of people because the the, the the foundations of whiteness the education system is part of a superstructure that supports the dominant ideology of whiteness within that it's really important that we fight from that place and these the, the black lives Latins movement within with, with students the, the sort of uh the bane networks they become foundations for us to take the struggle forward and because of the process of interest convergence whiteness wants to be seen as progressive so what happens is that they you you get them almost into a double bind where they have to be seen to be doing something that's a, a, a becomes a catalyst for change and i think it's i think it's important that those groups are, are maintained um and funded as well i think i think that's one of the things you can sort of take away from this process is ask for funding from um, from university bodies in order to support these processes and see how far it goes, really. Just, just to add to Rick's point there, especially about this interest convergence, because I think mm. that this leads to sustainable transformational change, because to a certain extent, we've been having the same conversation for 10 years. Okay. Um, you know, we know there's been disparity of student outcomes for a long time now. And it kind of goes back to a, a wonky blog that David Umber, one of our PVC vote just a couple of weeks ago and it looks at you know recommendations that came out just this year and they're very similar to what they were 10 years ago uh, so I absolutely agree with Rick there is an absolute um, interest convergence going on and you can see this happening across up and down the sector where most universities regardless of the demographic of their students is embracing um, this whole idea of the need to be more inclusive, the need to widen, widen participation, the need to ensure that uh, stu students, regardless of their background, their ethnicity, their gender, socioeconomic background, have all have a, a quality of opportunities. I just hope it just leads to some meaningful and long-term sustainable change. Thank you, Hardy. We'd all agree with that. And I do, like you, I do hope it does lead to really positive changes. Um, Rick, I was gonna come back to you to ask you a little bit about your research because I understand your research is focused on how structures work to oppress and also how they shape and influence um, mm. experiences and, and then as a result, their identities. My research is, is particularly talking black and ethnic minoritized um, young people's experience within predominantly white areas, quite mainly because my background is in that place and I grew up in a predominantly white area. And, and negotiating your way through that is um, is quite difficult. And I want to see how things have changed or how things, and I term it as being a sort of shapeshift, that racism is always present within society. It's structural, it's embedded. The school process and the educational process is it's part of a superstructure that supports the dominant ideology, as I've spoke about before. The dominant ideology being whiteness and white advantage being protected. School is almost, uh, particularly for uh, for young people in predominantly white areas, it becomes it becomes a testing ground to how quickly can you you, you fit 
impose stereotypes as I, I as I call them within um, within those environments. Um, it's almost as if you, you 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 your identity isn't defined by yourself, but it's defined by an external force, and those external forces become causal within people's lives. And um, uh, it's done in many many different ways. Sort of over monitoring by teachers. Banter seems to be a very very subtle way of doing doing racism. The curriculum operates in a way that makes people feel minoritized within that environment and are othered. Um, it's a it's a, a, a fulcrum of domination that people face within those environments. And um, I'm particularly interested in um, unpicking the journey people go through. Um, and how they balance those concepts of sort of meritocracy and if I work hard I will get somewhere alongside the fact of the the othering process within within education and feeling on the edge and uh, young people is that they, 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 they're not only they're not only black in that sort of political sense but they're black in relation to something else and that something else is how whiteness defines them as people. That's great thank you Rick and and thank you all for taking part today. It's been a really, really interesting discussion. And thank you for listening as well. And I hope this episode has left you something to think about. That if we do look to replace the term BAME, who are we looking to include and who are we looking to exclude? For further information about terminology, please do take a look at Advanced HE's website. They've got a page on there about the use of language. And also take a look at the Decolonising DMU Toolkit, which also features similar examples. Thank you very much.